Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about, look, to be honest, quite honest, a bloke you probably never, never heard of. Uh, but I tell you what, bloody hell. He got, to, he got up to some truly ridiculous nonsense in his lifetime as a sailor, as a captain, a swashbuckler, generally this this charming rogue who uh, couldn't seem to put a foot wrong, very lucky bloke he was. His name was Peter Janssen Vessel, although you may, uh, he's better, he's definitely better known as uh, Peter Tordenskjold, which in Norwegian means thunder shield. Uh, big thank you to Sam Broderick, who got in touch with me to suggest this bloke's life as a topic idea. Good on you, Sam. Bloody good one it is, too. Uh, you can send in your topic ideas, of course. We'll have a chat about that later on during the boring housekeeping nonsense at the end. Don't even worry about that. Anyway, this bloke, Tordenskjold, right? He rose through the ranks of the Danish Navy in the 17th century, in the 18th century, excuse me, the, the 1700s, uh, to become a vice admiral. And he, he ended up getting knighted for his uh, for his troubles as well. And you're, you're probably sitting there going, ho-hum, yep, boring. That's all rather dull so far, blah, blah, blah. But when you hear about what these what these exploits actually were, that's when you'll start to get interested. This bloke was rash, he was impulsive, he was hot-headed, and most importantly, he was very, very lucky as he got away with some of the most absurd capers that you can imagine, although it did catch up with him in the end, as you'll hear. But I'll tell you what, he made the most of the time that he had, make no mistake. He captured ships, he won sea battles, claimed glory for Denmark, Norway, a couple of court martials thrown in there, no worries at all, this bloke did it all. Got out of them without uh, without any problems at all. So let's get underway, have a proper chat about this bloke, Peter Tordenskjold, and uh, and find out what he was all about. So we're going all the way back to 1690 here, to a time when Denmark and Norway were the same country as, as they had been at this point for well over 150 years. Scandinavia has a, a long and rich history, obviously, but it's also pretty bloody incestuous. I'll tell you what, at one point or another, they've all bloody owned bits of each other. Uh, in the 15th century, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and Finland were all in bed together in what was called the Kalmar Union. And much, much later, even after our story here in the 19th century, poor old Norway was taken over by Sweden during the Napoleonic Wars. Seems like a lot of Scandinavian history is just Norway being passed around between the other countries. Oh, oh give me a shot of Norway, it's my turn. Um, but at the time of our hero Tordenskjold, his native Norway is ruled by Denmark. And as I say, he's born in 1690 on the 28th of October in Trondheim, and he's the son of an alderman. Uh, his parents were obviously big fans of each other, I have to say, because they had bloody tons of kids. Tordenskjold was one of either 14 or 18 children. I couldn't find out for sure, but either way, too many. Too many children. Too many. I mean, two. Two is a... Not even that. You know what? Overpopulation? One. Zero even, perhaps. Definitely definitely not 18, mate. Definitely not 18. Uh, anyway... Growing up, little Tordenskjold, who, uh, who obviously isn't called Tordenskjold yet, that comes a, a lot later. It's an honorific that he picked up much later on, but we'll go with it anyway because it's a much, you know, much cooler name than Vessel, uh, to be honest. So uh, little Tordenskjold, he's a real pain in the ass. He's one of them annoying little buggers who's, you know, always going around, getting himself in trouble, picking fights, pissing you off, doing whatever he can to cause mayhem and chaos. And this is a skill set that, you know, came in very handy, uh, you know, when he was a bit older. But as a young bloke, geez, he was in absolute terror. Uh, so maybe his parents are actually a bit relieved, therefore, when he ran away from home in uh, in 1704, the age of 14. Uh, to join the navy, he stowed away on board a ship bound to uh, bound to Copenhagen, and he was fully intent on signing up and becoming part of the Danish navy. 
And this was seen at the time as a great way for an ambitious youngster to get ahead in life because at this point in history, the Great Northern War is being fought between Denmark, Norway and Sweden, or more broadly, Den- Denmark, Norway is, uh, you know, been allied with uh, Peter I of Russia in fighting the Swedes. The war ultimately made Russia a legitimate power in Europe, but that's years away at the moment and it doesn't really come into the story too much right now. Uh, it's a good time to be interested in joining the military uh, if you're uh, if you're a Dano-Norwegian, and that's exactly what Tordenskjold is looking to do because, of course, there are, there are you know, plenty of opportunities for a, for a young, hungry bloke to prove himself, uh, you know, on the field of battle. However... This plan didn't work. Tries he might to snag himself a cadetship and, uh, you know, start along the path towards becoming an officer in the Danish Navy. He actually couldn't get himself a position. And when I say Danish Navy, I mean the Dano-Norwegian Norwegian Navy. But Denmark was broadly, it's broadly perceived to be the, the superior nation in that particular partnership there. Uh, you know, sorry to all the Norwegians. At least you're, you know, vaguely comprehensible when you talk these days. Anyway, um... So he uh, he couldn't get a position uh, w- with the Danish Navy. No worries. Instead, he started working on on merchant ships that were cutting across the Atlantic over the West Indies. And after a couple of years, he'd made the connections and the friends uh, and, and the experience uh, in order to actually get himself the cadet ship that he was after. Uh, and this time... Once he was uh, on board a military vessel, uh, he had he headed to the East Indies rather than the West. And his abilities and experience as a seaman now already evidenced themselves very quickly on these voyages. And, and so as a result, he received a commission as a second lieutenant on the 7th of July, 1711, at the age of just 20. So he sort of rose through the ranks very rapidly indeed. And that was, uh, I mean, that's, that's an augur of what's to come because his fearlessness, his energy, his obvious potential as a naval officer did not go unnoticed. This promotion was the first of very many taught that Tordenskjold would uh, receive over the years. Case in point, it didn't take long for him to be uh, promoted to uh, to lieutenant captain of his own vessel. Thanks again, uh, thanks once again to the to the connections and the friends that he made and his exploits, his uh, you know his confidence, his arrogance. I think it's fair to say as well. This bloke was uh, you know he was never scared. Uh, he backed himself to the hilt, uh, and uh, and as a result, yes, his uh, his rise through the ranks was uh, was pretty astronomic there. Anyway. He became mate. This is the other thing as well. He knew how he knew how to play the politic, the political game as well. He became mates with a powerful admiral named Valdemar Leuvendal, uh, who fast tracked his rise, uh, you know, his, his promotions, uh, and in 1712 actually put him in charge of, charge of a ship of his own called the Orman. And Tordenskjold uh, then went down uh, about doing what he did best. He caused chaos. Uh, he caused mayhem. He was, you know, he was he was sowing uh, sowing dissent amongst the ranks of the Swedes by uh, harassing and chasing down Swedish ships, scouting out enemy movements, attacking and attacking and scrapping with more or less every Swedish ship that he came across. Uh, he very quickly gained a reputation as, as as this reckless and relentless captain, going after ships of all shapes and sizes, even if the the, uh, the odds were stacked against him. And that's why I've called him. The 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 Norwegian the Norwegian the Norwegian Han Solo because I mean yeah, that that was what he's you know, that's what he's going around saying never never tell me the odds he says he as he goes around doing as he pleased not thinking about the consequences and always somehow managing to get away with it uh, I wasn't able to found, find any evidence that he had uh, you know a Wookiee as a first mate however although then again I didn't find any evidence that said specifically that he didn't so maybe the question uh, remains open anyway. Tordenskjold's impulsiveness, his arrogance, most of all his luck meant that he gained the uh, the admiration of many, but along with that came the enmity of many others because plenty of people in the pro- in the top brass of the Danish Navy, they didn't like his rash, his impetuous approach to fighting the Swedish, but I tell you what, it bloody well worked and you couldn't argue with his results. In fact, his results were so impressive, even after you know a few short months of, uh, of fighting, he received another promotion from his old mate Valdemar Leuvendal uh, later on in uh, in 1712 and was given command of a bigger ship, an 18-gun frigate called Leuvendal's Galais. And many 
in the Danish Admiralty. They will not fancy this move, but stick it up your bums, fellas. Our boy Tordenskjold, he's off, he's off and away. Ha-ha, get it, get it done, get it up. You're both, both the, the pricks in the Admiralty and more, much more importantly, of course, the Swedes that he was fighting. Sweden was not doing well in the Great Northern War at this point. They are hemmed in on both sides by the Russians and the Dano-Norwegians on both sides of the Baltic Sea there. And as a result, a lot of their shipping involved the transport of troops and supplies to the front lines, particularly in Swedish Pomerania, that northern part along the the the, the southern coast of the um, of the uh, uh, of the Baltic Sea, which which used to be part of uh, of Sweden at this point there. So they're desperately trying to defend that. Uh, and you can imagine, therefore, exactly what Tordenskjold gets up to at this point. He's he's going about. He's attacking every single Swedish ship that he sees. Again, no matter the odds of success, he's capturing transport ships, skirmishing with other frigates. He's hiding in fjords and ambushing Swedish ships as they pass. That was his sort of a, his signature move. He'd hide he'd hide out in one of those little fjords, and as they pass, get him into the perfect position, jump out of the uh, of the obviously. In a figurative sense, he didn't jump off the ship. That wouldn't be a winning stratagem, I wouldn't have thought. Although maybe he would have gotten away with it. I don't know. Anyway, he'd leap out of these uh, leap out of these fjords and attack them, ambush them, surprise them there like that. And eventually, right, he had such success against the Swedes that they were so sick of this bastard wrecking their business that they put a bounty on his head. Right. So a, a lot of the a lot of the Swedish naval forces were acting yeah, kind of like privateers at the time. They're going around attacking merchants and whatever else they're like that. So this bloke's got a big fat bounty on his head, but that was never claimed. It, and it didn't deter Tordenskjold as well. He evaded capture. He evaded, you know, these bounty, any, if any bounty hunters came after him, I, I couldn't find any stories of them him being even remotely troubled by them. And it got to a point in 1713 that he responded to this, uh, this bounty that had been put on his head by sending a letter to the governor of Gothenburg, helpfully reminding him that he was still at large and uh, still harassing Swedish shipping, and then asking if the governor would be so kind as to send a proper great big warship off after him if he was going to do it, do it properly, as he wanted to, the, the bounty to be collected in style. What a gutsy move. This bloke had no fear. He was openly mocking the Swedish for their inability to do anything about him. And what in, in a move that I find utterly ridiculous, remember these two nations are at war, the Swedish governor then sent a letter of complaint to the Danish admiralty for their captain's conduct. Can you imagine that? These blokes are off there, you know, trying to kill as many of the opposing people as possible, and they're sending letters, like, you know, like a teacher sending a, a letter home to your mum to get you in trouble. Anyway, perhaps Tordenskjold's funniest exploit was the one that took place in July 1714. I've already, you know, banged on about his panache, his daring, and his arrogance, but this, this one, this typifies the whole thing. It goes, it'll, this will go on to show exactly what kind of bloke this Tordenskjold was. Right, so on the 26th of July, Tordenskjold is cutting about in his, in his frigate, but he's flying Dutch colours so as to deceive uh, any Swedish ships. And uh, and while he's, uh, while he's sailing around like this, sure enough, he spots, he spots another frigate, although, you know, it's not what he was hoping for. It's flying the English colours, but oh well, no worries. He gets signal. The English, uh, the English ship, uh, it signals uh, for Tordenskjold to approach, and as he does so, he raises the Danish flag. Obviously, you know, he's he, he showing the showing this English uh, ship where he's from. But as soon as he raises this flag, the English ship turns around and fires a broadside at him, and that's because it wasn't an English ship at all. It was a Swedish ship that the English had outfitted, and it was on its way to Gothenburg to join in with the war effort under the command of an English captain, whose name was Captain Bachtman. 
So now that the true colours of these ships have been revealed, a long and hard-fought sea battle then followed. Both the Danish and the Swedish ships are battering the hell out of each other with cannon fire for hours and hours and hours. Eventually, the Swedish ship decided that enough was enough. You know, it looked like a little bit of a stalemate. It wasn't really going anywhere. And so the Swedish ship decides discretion is the better part of valour and attempts to flee. But Tordenskjöl doesn't even know the meaning of the word discretion, of course, and he wasn't about to accept a half-victory like that. So he ordered his ship to full sail and chase down the Swedish ship so as to continue the fight. And they continue to bombard each other, again, neither of them proving to be able to, you know, seize any kind of decisive victory. But then night began to gather. Night began to approach and uh, the oncoming darkness, uh, because there was no, you know, conclusive victory at this point, the oncoming darkness ended up stopping the fighting. Both the ships were heavily damaged, more or less, you know, just limping along through the water. But as the sun rose, the ships are still within range of each other and they still start oh, they start scrapping all over again. The fighting begun once more. After a total of 14 hours of these ships going out at hammer and tongs here, Tordenskjöld was almost out of ammo and he realised that he wouldn't be able to keep fighting like this for much, much longer. He's low on powder, he's low on shot, he's low on cannonballs. And so I invite you to think about what you might have done in this situation. You've been locked in combat for hours and hours. The enemy has already tried to flee once. Your ship is in tatters. Now would be a good time to quit while you're ahead, right? You've done it. You've done a bloody good job. You know, this ship probably is going to have to turn back to England, get get repaired, outfitted, whatever else there like that. You've done, you know, you've done, the, you've done the work you were ex- that it was expected of you. But no, no, no. Of course not. Not only... Did Tordenskjöld not give up, not go, all right, uh, you know, uh, GG, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let it go there. No, he attempted to gain more ammunition so as to, uh, you know, continue the fight in one of the most astonishingly brazen ways you can possibly imagine. He signaled the Swedish ship to pause the battle, and then he sent, he sent an envoy over to its captain with an utterly bizarre message and request. Tordenskjöld, he cordially thanked Backman for the very fine duel that they were both enjoying, but regretted to inform him that he was running out of ammunition and would be unable to continue for much longer. That is, of course, unless Backman could see his way clear to... Imagine, imagine this. Imagine asking this of an enemy captain. Unless he could see his way clear to giving more ammunition to Tordenskjöld so the duel could continue. Tordenskjöld actually asked the bloke whose ship, who ship he was trying to sink if he could borrow the ammunition that he needed to do it. Talk about an absolute chance that this bloke thought he could get away with anything. And of course, you know, the story would be all the more perfect if Backman was also slightly bonkers like Tordenskjöld, but he seemed to have been cut from, you know, a rather more sensible cloth, it seems. Uh, Backman politely declined the request, uh, but that didn't stop the two ships, damaged, full of holes and slightly, uh, slightly falling apart from drawing up against one another while the crews and the captains drank to each other's health, hooting and cheering at each other as they then both sailed off in their respective directions. Tordenskjöld had built a reputation on getting away with everything he did, and he'd gotten away with this as well, it seemed, asking an enemy captain to borrow some ammunition so he could continue fighting. However, as it turned out, he didn't quite get away with it scot-free here because... This incident was too, a bridge too far even for Tordenskjöld. Once the Danish king, Frederick IV, heard of what had happened, he ordered the Admiralty to court-martial 
Tordenskjold. And Tordenskjold's enemies, of course, leapt at the chance. All the people who had been holding a grudge in the Admiralty against this bloke, they jumped at the chance to uh, to see their nemesis uh, brought undone. And so in November 1714, he, he faced a court-martial on two charges. One, endangering his ship by fighting a superior enemy force. And two, giving away secret military information by alerting an enemy to his lack of ammunition. Pretty ridiculous sounding charges, especially that last one. But of course, our mate Tordenskjold, he's not one to back down from a fight. Doesn't matter if it's on the sea or in the courtroom, this bloke is going to scrap, and that's just what he did. He defended himself with his characteristic arrogance, with, with a typical recklessness you'd expect, going on the offensive by heaping derision and scorn on those that were accusing him of doing something wrong by attacking a superior force, making them seem like cowards. Not him, you know, obviously, He's obviously he's reckless as all as all hell, but he's trying to turn it around and make them seem like you know they're lily-livered cowards for not being able to uh, you know stand up and fight like they should be doing. And he also did his homework. I'll tell you this: he did his research and he found an obscure and archaic passage in the Danish naval code that explicitly instructed captains to chase down and attack enemy ships that sought to flee the battle. So, never mind having endangered himself by fighting a superior force, never mind, uh, you know, having given himself away this or given, given away this information, he actually played it by the book. And after the trial, of course, he was, you know, he was, he was duly acquitted after having you know, put on a rousing defence here. But after the trial, it gets even better because Tordenskjold, he's not, he's not, you know, he's not going to see this, uh, this court martial uh, ruin his reputation as an absolute chancer here. He then sought an audience with King Frederick and just weeks after this bloke had had him court martialed, he asked the king for another promotion. Can you believe it? How gutsy can one bloke be? Luckily for him, however, the, uh, the by the end of the court-martial, King Frederick had changed his tune, tune completely, and he was now a huge fan of Tordenskjold, and so he was granted another promotion on the 28th of, uh, of December 1714, and then sent right back out to continue fighting the Swedish. So, Throughout 1715, Tordenskjold did again what he did, what he does, what he does best. He went about sowing chaos and confusion amongst the Swedish navy, fighting them tooth and nail up and down the Baltic Sea. He scrapped and skirmished here and there, but occasionally would take on entire fleets as well, as you do, of course, never back down from a challenge. In fact, in April 1715, he fought and captured a Swedish ship called the Vita Uhn, which means uh, White Eagle. And he took it, uh, took, it, uh, took it for himself as a prize, as a, as a flagship. And he renamed it, if, um, if you could call it that, by instead calling it White Eagle in Danish, which is, I'm told, Zyurn. I mean, that's, that, like, that's spelled H-V-I-D-E, Havida, and somehow ends up being I mean... Danish man, how how does it, how does it even work? I just uh, anyway anyway, from April 1715, he's now cutting about the White Eagle. He's fighting the Swedish, uh, you know, everywhere he can, including a battle in August where he fought and beat a much larger Swedish force. So once again, he's going up against these superior enemy forces. No worries at all. He's done such a bang up job in fighting the Swedish that when he returned to Denmark in early 1716, King Frederick the Fourth decided to knight him, and so on the 24th of February 1716, Peter Janssen Vessel. Rose as Peter Tordenskjold. His his new title, obviously, extremely cool, if a little inaccurate, because when you think of, you know, a thunder shield, you think of something dependable, reliable, very defensive. But then, you know, the king probably wouldn't have allowed him to be become Peter Sower of Chaos or, or something a little more true to life. But 
At the fresh young age of 25, knighthood under the belt, Tordenskjold is firing on all cylinders. And again, as soon as he's got the uh, the title, he heads straight back out to sea to continue harassing the Swedish. And it was in this year that he pulled together what was probably his greatest victory as a sea captain during the Battle of Dynakillen. And I'm probably saying that incorrectly because, again, it is a place in Scandinavia. I do apologise. Uh, on the 8th of, uh, of July in 1716. Now, I talked before about he, how he liked to hide in fjords and then leap out again in a figurative sense uh, at enemy ships. But this time he outdid himself because with just seven ships under his command, one of which was just a barge, he managed to trap 44 Swedish ships in a fjord with no way of escaping. These Swedish ships were a transport fleet that were escorted by warships, including a former Swedish ship of the line, right? And they were part of the Swedish king's Charles uh, Charles the 12th, right? He had a plan to launch an invasion of Norway itself. And so, of course, our mate George Scott, you've got to stand there. He's not, not going not gonna to stand for this sort of that stuff. He's going to get in the way with his usual recklessness. And so what he does, while the Swedish fleet was harboured at Dynakillen, I just said it faster to make it less hard for me to mispronounce it. Uh, Tordenskjold, he leapt into action. His small fleet, just seven ships, remember, it attacked the harbour, destroyed the fort that defended it, and caught the Swedes with their pants down, being completely outmaneuvered and utterly trapped in this little fjord harbour here by a force that was six times smaller, remember. The Swedes surrendered. They attempted to scuttle or run aground uh, many of their ships, uh, and so complete was Tordenskjold's victory here. The Swedish were doing his job for him. They recognised that without the, the defences of the fort, without the, the ships being in any position to manoeuvre their way out of the, out of this fjord here, that uh, you know the, the the jig was up. And so again, as I say, they're doing their job. They're doing Tordenskjold's job for him. They're sinking their own ships to save him the trouble. Tordenskjold, however, he's having none of this, right? He, he, he manages to capture 30 of the 44 ships, preventing their self-destruction, including the former ship of the line. And so when news of this exploit reaches Denmark, and you know, as, as Tordenskjold sails back home with his Swedish ships in tow, he was once again held a hero and once again promoted, this time to post-captain. Not that this really changed anything. He spent 17, 17 and 17, 18 at sea, continuing to fight the Swedish and had all sorts of adventures as he did so. There were ups and downs, you know, smiles and frowns. At one point he was... Court-martialed again, bloody hell! But uh, of course, you know this. This seems to have been political more than anything else, and he still uh, he still had his fair share of enemies in the Admiralty. But you know, whatever the case was, he beat out another court-martial. Uh, no worries at all. I'm out Tordenskjold. He's not the business of losing fights. Don't forget. Um, but and then in seven in December of seventeen eighteen, he received another promotion. This time to rear admiral, and no, this wasn't for any sort of great daring exploit, right? It was for being the first bloke to get back to King Frederick IV with news of the death of the Swedish king, Charles Twelfth. I mean, you know how they say don't shoot the messenger? This is the exact opposite of that. Promote the messenger, mate. You know, even though Tordenskjold had nothing to do with Charles's death, he wasn't even there when uh, when the king died, had nothing to do with it at all. No worries. Make this man a rear admiral. I'm in a bloody good mood today. And he's, you know, he's, he's the beneficiary of it, apparently. Anyway, in 1719... He pulled off another incredible act of brazen daring when he captured the Swedish town of Marstrand. This uh, this town was harbouring a Swedish fleet out of Gothenburg. Uh, Tordenskjold had been hunting down this uh, this this Gothen, uh, the Gothenburg squadron for quite a while, and he attacked with his usual disregard for the consequences. Although this time he seemed to have thought this one out a little more than usual. The story goes that after landing troops and marching them into the town to try to capture them, he then got the commander of Marstad and uh, Marstrand, I should say, and 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 took him on a little walk through his town, showing how many troops he had, the enormous garrisons that he had in place here throughout the town. However, 
what was happening while he was t- while he was wandering walking through the uh, the town with the uh, you know with the people in charge of uh, the, the Swedes who he was trying to you know, convince to surrender the town without a uh, without a fight here his soldiers his blokes were sneaking down back alleys running around side streets and presenting themselves as different soldiers that had managed to you know completely over it looked like the town had been overrun by a very by what was actually a very small group of soldiers who were repositioning themselves constantly to make it seem like there were more of them than they were i mean what an incredible bluff he's used you know 50 or so so i don't know how many it was but let's say 50 or so soldiers to make it seem like there were bloody hundreds and hundreds of them as as you know as he's taking the 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 commanders around showing just what what devastation lay in wait if the uh, if the Swedes try to resist this uh, this Danish invasion here, and it worked. He pulled it off. I, I mean, this may, to be honest, look, I have to I have to you know give you a disclaimer here. This may be a bit of a myth. It may have been exaggerated at least. This whole thing here like that. But whatever the reason, he managed to capture the town. He managed to capture the fleet. And you know even if the story has been exaggerated, it's still incredible. It's still an incredible feat of daring here like that. And even if it didn't happen exactly like that. The story, the event, it had it had two major, very important consequences. Firstly, Tordenskjold received another promotion, his last, to vice admiral, right, for his capture of the town. So he's, I mean, our boys come good. He's run away, joined the navy at the age of fourteen, and now he's a vice admiral. So he's done very bloody well for himself. But secondly, Danish and Norwegian, even today, the languages they have a saying: Tordenskjold soldiers, right. And this is a saying that is used to refer to people who are forced to fulfil multiple roles. Uh, for example, in a government cabinet, for example, where uh, you know a minister has several portfolios, that minister will be preferred to, or referred to as a Tordenskjöld soldier because they're having to you know juggle all these different things, fulfil a bunch of different roles, pretend that they're doing all these uh, all these different things at the same time. So quite an incredible, quite an incredible uh, you know influence for this uh, for this bloke to have had you know, to have phrased you know a, a little idiom that is uh, that has uh, gotten all the way into into Danish and Norwegian even today. However, in seventeen twenty. The Dano-Norwegians, they had wrapped up their role in the Great Northern War, and the war itself, uh, you know, with Russia and the rest of it, would end altogether in the next year in 1721 with, uh, with a resounding Swedish defeat there. But unfortunately, our mate uh, Tordenskjold, he wouldn't live to see it because he died before the end of 1720, just, just 30 years of age he was. But uh, his death was, look, entirely characteristic, however, and quite fitting for a man who lived his life so rashly and, you know, with such utter disregard for the consequences. Tordenskjöld was not a man who lost all that much at sea or when being court-martialed for that matter as well, but uh, there was one fight that he ended up picking that uh, ultimately was the end of him. At the end of the war, Tordenskjöld is a bit of a, loo- uh, you know, a bit of a loose end. There's no Swedish ships for him to go and fight and, uh, and sink anymore, capture and whatever else. So he ended up travelling. He ended up travelling around a bit and he ended up in Hanover. And while in Hanover, he was hanging out with some mates, cutting about the city, having a good time, uh, you know, going out in the town, doing whatever else. And then one night in a tavern, these mates of his, they're telling him a story about how one of them had been cheated at cards by this bloke, Colonel Holstein. And you'll never guess what. Colonel Holstein happened to be there in the tavern at the time, and he happened to overhear the accusations that they were levelling at him. And he is not happy about this at all. So he angrily, he, he approaches the table with a big frown on his face where, you know, Torden Skjold is sitting here with his mates. And he said, listen, you blokes are talking a load of nonsense. Perhaps you'd like to step outside and discuss things further with me here. Perhaps, you know, offer an apology for the, for the insult that you've, uh, you've levelled at me here. And, uh, well, you can imagine how Tordenskjöld, Norway's 18th century Han Solo, responded to this. He leapt to the defence of his mate, and before long there was a good old-fashioned bar brawl had broken out, uh, you know, amongst all the people there in the tavern. There's, you know, blokes swimming, swinging from the, ch- the chandeliers, belting each other around with chairs, the work's bloody brilliant. But once the dust had settled, however, 
Holstein demanded satisfaction from Tordenskjold and challenged him to a duel, which, of course, Tordenskjold accepted. And so it was that on the 12th of November in 1720, these two men faced off against each other. Now, it wasn't a particularly fair fight. Tordenskjold had just just had his ceremonial sword while Holstein had a, a proper military rapier. But that wasn't going to make old hothead Tordenskjold back down, was it? No, of course not. Unfortunately... This proved to be the very last mistake that Tordenskjold would ever make, as the uh, the duel ended up with him having uh, Holstein's rapier firmly impale him through the chest, killing him more or less on the spot. Some things, my friends, are too precious for this world. I mean, look, Tordenskjold, he's he's not one of them. He was an arrogant, impulsive and and reckless maniac, but... His luck finally ran out on that day, but still, what a life he lived, burning hot and bright and all too short, much like, and this is not a joke, much like the brand of matches that adopted his name in 1882. The famous Tordenskjold brand matches were marketed with the very clever slogan that you could use Tordenskjold to once again strike at the Swedish. Entirely appropriate, I think, as, and you'd have to reckon that Tordenskjold himself would have been very pleased with that, the dangerous and, dangerous and capricious force of fire bearing his name, and again, burning hot and bright, just as he did. Although he may have been less pleased with what happened in 1972, when the Tordenskjold brand of matches was bought by a Swedish company. Sorry, Tordenskjold, old son, you can't win them all. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Peter Tordenskjold, the, the, the Han Solo of 19th century Norway, I think it's very fair to say. Uh, we're going to rip through the boring housekeeping stuff at the end here. Halfhousehistory.net, of course, is the website. Contact form there if you want to get in touch like Sam Broderick did. Thank you so much, Sam, for this topic suggestion. What a ripper it was. If you want to follow in uh, in Sam's exalted footsteps, please send me through a message via the contact form and I'll, uh, I'll do my best to have a good old look at uh, whatever you send through. Um, the website also has links to subscribe to the show on Spotify and iTunes and whatever else. And if you want to leave me an iTunes review, that'd be a great big favor. Thank you so much to the people who've already done that. Uh, the other way to uh, support the show, of course, is with your stone cold cash. You can either, uh, send, you can either, sorry, I'll, you give me money and I'll send you things. Uh, the, uh, the half house history shop on big cartel. You can find the link uh, through the website. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, whatever else. Uh, and thank you so much to the people who are, uh, you know, I've got a, I got a lot of them, guys. So please, please do buy them because I'd, I've got like you know, fifty or so of them left, and I, I, my pajama drawer is going to be very, very full if they don't sell. Um, on top of that, of course, uh, you can also support the show via Patreon. Thank you to all of the uh, the Patreon supporters who are chucking money at me hand over fist every uh, every week, every month. Uh, a range of uh, a range of attractive benefits available to anyone who, uh, who who supports the show on Patreon. Early access to shows, uncut behind the scenes stuff as well, and of course the opportunity to become an executive producer of the show if you stick around long enough. Anyway. That is that for another week of Half House History. Thanks so much for hanging out with me once again. We're going to close the show, of course, with a, uh, a question posed on Reddit. Uh, this one, not really a historical question, but we've talked a lot about Sweden this week. And this one, geez, it, it just, it really got me this one. It is a, it's a question about, uh, well, yeah, a very, a very Swedish issue here. <clears throat> and it's by, it comes from uh, Reddit user The Fox of the Opera, who asks, I just found out my penis is shaped like Sweden. Do I have Stockholm Syndrome?